The Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, I pee freely in Crimea River, manifest from pun space to rescue Prince Albert in a can before chasing a running refrigerator off a cliff. Mass Market Editions and Santa's Workshop Editions. Plus, we continue the complete audiobook serialization of David Weber's Uncompromising Honor. All right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour podcast. It's an honor to have you along. I'm Bain Senior Editor Tony Daniel. This time we have an interview with Sharon Lee and Steve Miller, authors of a new Leaden Universe novel, Trader's Leap. This is book um 10 millionth in Sharon and Steve's amazing 30-year-long project. And this is a culminating storyline novel, so it's very important and cool book in the series. And Sharon and Steve will tell us all about it. And we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of David Weber's Honor Harrington series masterpiece, Uncompromising Honor. Now here's the news. We are having another amazing ebook special for December. From now until the end of the year, there are discounts on all Michael Z. Williamson ebooks. Yes, it's the Michael Z. Williamson Holiday Mayhem ebook sale. A barrage of Christmas season savings on all of MZW's ebooks. $2 off Great Freehold Series Anthology, Freehold Resistance by Michael Z. Williamson, edited by Michael Z. Williamson, with stories by Larry Correa, Brad Torgerson, Mike Massa, Casey Zell, and a lot of great writers. Plus, through December, $1 off on all other Michael Z. Williamson ebooks, including everything in Mike's legendary Freehold series. These discounts apply wherever Bain ebooks are sold, so join the mayhem and fill out your holidays with good, jolly holiday reading. It's Holiday Mass Market Edition Joy in December. A lot of great Bain books for your reading and giving pleasure are now available in mass market format. First up is Monster Hunter Guardian by Larry Correa and Sarah A. Hoyt. While the Monster Hunter International crew are called away on a rescue mission, Julie Shackleford is left behind to hold down the fort and care for her newborn son. Julie's devoted to the little guy, yet the slow pace of maternity leave is getting to her. But when a field call brings her face to face with an unspeakable evil, she'll get more excitement than she ever hoped for. Also out in December is Freehold Resistance by Michael Z. Williamson. When the UN invaded the freehold of Grania, the intent was simple, force a non-compliant star nation back into the collective. What the politicians hadn't accounted for was that the freehold had spent 200 years as the haven for every independent, rebellious, self-reliant adventurer in human space. Grania's inhabitants have only one goal in mind, make the invaders suffer for their presumption. Finally, in mass market in December is 1636, The Flight of the Nightingale by David Carrico. Two novels set in Eric Flint's best-selling Ring of Fire series shine a light on the overlooked corners of the Ring of Fire universe where small actions can have life-altering consequences. This one includes two complete novels, The Flight of the Nightingale and Bach, that is Bach the Musician, to the Future. 1636, The Flight of the Nightingale by David Carrico, Freehold Resistance, edited by Michael Z. Williamson, 
and Monster Hunter Guardian by Larry Correa and Sarah A. Hoyt are now available in mass market format at booksellers everywhere. And hey, that means the ebook price has gone down as well, so check them out. Hi, I want to welcome Sharon, Lee, and Steve Miller back to the podcast. Hello, folks. Hi, Tony. Hi it's great to see you. I assume you're in Maine in your yes. headquarters, the Leaden uh, Clan Corval uh, Central uh, base <laughs> somewhere up there. We, we, we do call it the, the Cat Farm and Confusion Factory. Ah. Uh -huh. It's the official name of the house. I see. Well, let me, uh, Sharon, uh, and Steve are Maine-based writers who teamed up in the late 1980s to bring the world the story of Kinzel, this is the first book, an inept wizard with a, a love of cats, a thirst for justice, and a staff of true power. Since then, the husband and wife have written dozens of short stories and 20-plus novels, most set in their star-spanning Leaden Universe uh, series, Leaden Universe. There and they make coffee mugs. The tree and the dragon. Um, yes. <laughs> Before settling down to the serene and stable life of a science fiction and fantasy writer couple, Steve was a traveling poet, rock band reviewer, reporter, and editor of a string of community newspapers. Sharon has been an advertising copywriter, copy editor on the Nightside News at a small city newspaper, a reporter, a photographer, and a book reviewer. Both credit their newspaper experiences with teaching them the finer points of collaboration. Sharon and Steve passionately believe that reading fiction ought to be fun, and so do we, and that stories are entertainment. Um, and now at booksellers everywhere is uh, Trader's Leap, which is, um, it looks like that. Which is a really good book. Yes. We're going to talk about that. Okay. Um, um, and uh, it's got a really cool, it's kind of a greenish, yellowish cast cover this time, which I think it really turned out nicely, actually, with the... Um, well, I, th I think it did well. It's on a space station, after all, and it, it gives that kind of funny light that's not really sunlight. Now, is that the ambient from the book or is that somewhere else? Oh, no, this, this, as far as we can um, understand from David, this actually takes place on Vander, which is a space station. Everybody stops at Vander because it's very conveniently located. Ah, ah. Well, um, so maybe, I mean, it's, to, to dive into the Leiden universe is it's itself a, an undertaking. Maybe um, bring us up to, tell us, something about the milieu and bring us up to um, speed on where we are in Trader's Leap at the start of the novel. <laughs> Trader's okay, easiest. Trader's Leap is the direct sequel to Alliance of Equals. It starts two days after the end of Alliance of Equals. Um, it runs, because we're running multiple storylines here, it runs concurrent, the action in Trader's Leap runs concurrently with the action in Accepting the Lance, which is the 22nd book in the Leaden series. This is the 23rd. Okay. That okay? And, the, the <laughs> and Accepting the Lance, which was um, just newly out in mass market in November, by the way. November, yes. yes. Uh, the series as a whole is uh, a blend of space opera and uh, romance. Uh, adventure, action adventure. There is some um, hidden hard science in there if you're big on hard science. Every so often somebody writes me a, 
an email and says, oh, did you know this was in there? Gee, you got that yeah, right. Yeah, tell, tell the people <laughs> who write your book that they did it right this time. Uh, um. So we, 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 do get, we do get that. The story, uh, we started working on the story in 1985, writing um, together based on an idea that Sharon had had for some, for some years. 1984. Okay. 1984, a very good year. <laughs> and uh, the original thrust that people solved the first seven books was uh, action adventure, uh, what some per one editor called, and it was sort of a complaint at the time. <laughs> she said, you know, this is like John Le Carr in space. And it's like, you say this like it's a bad thing. Uh, however, oh. that, that was uh, <clears throat> featuring Valcon and Miri, who, who were featured, in, uh, and Sean was later introduced uh, in the next in the, the next, next book, book. We, we, what, we, what happened was we wrote a book and called the book Agent of Change. Agent of Change was um, really action adventure and some romance. And while we were waiting to hear, then we submitted the manuscript as one does. And while we were waiting to hear um, whether the manuscript had been accepted, we decided to write an exploration, a short story of Valcon's brother. And we kept writing it and kept writing it. We kept calling it the short story. Up until 80,000 words, we called it the short story. And that became Conflict of Honors, the second book. And, and we, we- Which is a Sean book. So that's the first Sean book. That was the first Sean book. And we, we submitted that uh, to the one publisher. Uh, un understand we started off with the A's when we were, this is in the old days of- um, the, pub, the oh, publisher's publishing. marketplace, you remember that? And you just go yes, and indeed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Publishers, yes. You started at Ace and went through Misha Merlin, and then Bain picked it up many books ago. Now it's really a Bain no, series. No, we started on Ace. We started at Ace, and Del Rey picked up the first Oh. oh. Yeah, we started at Ace, and the book was turned down um, after a long time by an editor who, who we happen to know, who was also a fan. And she wrote us a note saying, well, just not quite sure about this and um she liked it but it was you know just sort of john le Carr in space kind of a thing and eventually what happened is that um del rey picked it up and uh published the first the first three uh there was a hiatus then because of editorial changes there at del rey the new new incoming editor didn't have the same uh, approach to science fiction for, for fans that uh, the um, elder statesman had had. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually that's when Misha Merlin wrote to us and said, hey, these books are... Well, Misha Merlin had started as a reprint house. Um, it was basically, re they were basically reprinting old paperback originals and more durable copies because by the time Misha Merlin came around, the Leiden Universe mass markets, um, Hellspark, um, I, geez, a whole bunch of um, old mass market originals were falling apart. And people were like, yeah. my books are falling apart and I can't well, that was them. People don't remember, but the 80s and even before, of course, before were, e -books. were were before e-books, <laughs> yes. There, well, yes. there were, most books came out as, in, in the genres as mass market originals right. and didn't, did not have hardcover versions. And so, um, and some little uh, smaller publishers would, would put out hardcover versions for the fans. And now um, we kind of, you know, hardcovers are our bread and butter, although we, we certainly like our mass markets. They are now reprints. 
Yes. The uh, the fact was that uh, Robin Wayne Bailey had spoken to uh, Misha Merlin's publisher on on our behalf and without us knowing it, saying these books really deserve to be to be repub to be republished. And we got a phone call in the middle of a snowstorm. Oh yes. Uh, it, just before a snowstorm, actually. And uh, he said, "I've read these three books, and I find them charming. Charming. We really, I would really like like to have a chance to, and I'll make you an offer on them. And we, while we were talking with them, uh, we explained that actually there were more that were written and more scheduled. And he said, "Well, okay. Well, let me think. Let me think about that. But you look at our look at my offer." And he gave us the offer. And he said, "And I'll call you. You know." Call me back when you're ready, and we'll we'll talk about it. And then we had a nice storm, and we were out of commission. The power was out for seven days. Um, and when the power came on, we did not call Steve's mom first. We called the <laughs> we called the guy in Atlanta, oh. who said ice storm. <laughs> what, what, That's what a ice nice storm. negotiating tactic. Thank yeah, really. Uh, but he, oh. when we got back, then we said, but we, there is there's some more to the story, and we said we've got another one that's that's um, written. And he said, okay, I'll take it. And we went, what? <laughs> Without having seen it, we explained that no, it was actually we had seven. planned it out to seven. He said, "Well, gee, good. I'll t I'll take them, okay." So we we've, we've been trading on our charm for a long time, <laughs> and it and it worked. Yeah, so those books came out, and the uh, the upshot was that we had uh, an action adventure series, but a lot of stuff happened that needed to be expanded on we know that because people wrote to us and would say you know what happened to the check the taxi driver what happened to this what about this and uh, so from that you get that the hidden universe is character driven and every story we tell is there's adventure there's romance there's personal relationship there's revenge um but it's it's basically all about the characters for us and you have a wonderful, I mean, you guys are in charge, of course, but you have a wonderful sort of uh, relationship with your, uh, with your readers and, uh, and we have the best readers. Yeah, that's, uh, it's key. And I think that's probably the reason the series is so um, vast and, and beloved, right? I mean, that sort of. We, we've had all kinds of um, good support. We Occasionally, um, occasionally, more than occasionally, on Facebook, um, <clears throat> if you forget the color of somebody's eyes or when somebody died or how somebody died, um, we do scavenger hunt. Can you tell us? <laughs> um, and we have somewhat of an overlap, but I have two or 3,000 followers on Facebook, and Sharon does as well. And we can just do that. And when, when did so-and-so die or did it was... Do you remember the color of so-and-so's eyes? And because after so many characters, sometimes you slip. Um, and honestly, these people have read the, the books more often than I have. Um, some of them do a yearly reread of, of now 23 20 books. books yes. yeah. uh, so. Wow. <laughs> so, that's, well, that's dedication. That, that is dedication. dedication. And, and basically, yeah, that's what you're reading that year. Yes. So, although some people read extraordinarily, some people read really fast. Yeah. So, well, tell us. Uh, let's talk about the books a little bit. Um, what is Dromley's? Because this is a book that's about that. It's about, it's about this quality of this universe, which may or may not be ours. Probably is a, a, a couple of steps over from from us. Um, the Lied, the the 
what are they are they liads they're the lead and they're they're kind of they look you know they're pretty close to humans but not quite maybe and they have this this elaborate clan structure and tr they're big traders of star traders um make their living that way so um but the, but this thing that sort of binds um i don't what is drum lease <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, we've done a what is Milanti uh, podcast before, so let's talk about drums. This time. Back when we started writing, this is actually pertinent for a change. Back when we started writing um, Agent of Change, there was this thing called the Ryan Institute. Does anybody remember the Ryan Institute anymore? Where they would they were studying psychic phenomena. They were um, asking people to predict the roll of a dice or the fall of cards. Um, to um, foresee, to do all of the things we now know are fantasy, um, but they were treating them as if they were scientific fact. In fact, they were calling it parapsychology, rather than saying, well, it's psychology, that's one power, one study of the mind, and, and, and parapsychology is the study of the mind, the people who have telekinesis. Can we have somebody maybe sit in, uh, sit in Washington, D.C. in a bunker and have him turn that switch in the Russian missile launch site to mentally, off, mentally, and there was there was serious research going on on uh, telekinesis, on thought control, or and and those kinds of things. So into the Leiden universe, we have Dremlis. These are people. The translation in the Terran is wizard, um, but these are the people who can do psychic exercises. Um, Dremlees is the Dremlees is the umbrella term for all of the people who can do these strange things. There is a subterm called healers, and healers look into the hearts and minds of men, and they can um, heal you of of trauma. Um, they can fail to heal you of trauma if they think that you need to learn something from that trauma. They can make you forget. Um, they can, in very extreme circumstances, allow you to die. Um, Sean Yoskalin is a healer. He's also a master trader, um, but his second, his second vocation is a healer. He is on an empath. And his, uh, his life mate, because in this universe it is possible for you to discover the exact match for you, is uh, Priscilla Mendoza. Priscilla Delacroix E. Mendoza, mm -hmm. actually, and uh, she also has some Dremlis ta talent, but she comes from a different tradition. She comes from a tradition where the Dremlis talent is seen as um, emanating from a god or from goddesses, from uh, a larger being rather than from within, and that's a different tradition. She was trained, she was trained differently, and it offers uh, some cultural, cultural clash in a number of ways there. Hmm. And these are the big guys in the field though. The, the, they, when I say the big guys, the Dromleys are the, the, the obvious ones. There are also additional Dromleys talents, including such little things as people who are called locks. And if you're a lock, you can walk into a room where somebody is playing poker. And if you sit down next to them and you're in favor of them, you like them, they're hands will get better. Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe. There's a good chance their <laughs> hands will get better. Not always. And that's the problem with being a luck. Things tend to go, 
rather if you're flipping coins, they tend to go in your your way more often than not. But it's a but people forget when they talk when they talk about luck, they always think about good luck, and luck can can flip on you. And what looks like good luck may not turn out to be long term good luck. Trader's Leap um, is a book about gremlins, as you as you said, um, because Sean's daughter has just come into her powers. And that is Sean and Priscilla's daughter, right? No, no. This is Sean's daughter from a, from a previous relationship. Oh, okay. So Patty is not Priscilla's daughter. No, no. Uh, this mm-hmm. Patty fulfills Sean's duty to the clan to mm-hmm. produce a child to take his place when he, when he moves on. Um, so Patty is a teenager, and she has just come into her powers, and they're trying to sort her out because they think that she's something um, quite more than a healer and um, if she's a Dramley as well they've never seen one like this before she's so bright they keep waiting for her to, to kind of settle so they can figure out what what they have here um, at one point she's Priscilla is speaking to her Priscilla um, became a vessel of a goddess in this um, culture that, that she was raised in um, and she's explaining this to Patty at one point and Patty says to her, so the goddess can fill you and move you without your own, even agreement. And she said, well, I agreed. I mean, I I agreed. I was was made a a servant of the goddess. And Patty's looking at her like, I can't believe you agreed to to this. And Priscilla says, well, I was 12. And it was a very great honor. And Patty says to her, can I kill a goddess? Am I strong enough to kill a goddess? And Priscilla says, well, you're certainly strong enough to get her attention. So, so we're dealing with some, some issues of strength here as well as some issues down at the luck level. Right. Yeah. So Patty is, I mean, Patty is like the sui generis thing that, that they're dealing. So at the end of the last book, Sean um, got seriously hurt. Um, he was trying to, to save a, uh, an operative of our, of our bad guys, I guess. And, um, he did, but it, it drained him. Right. And it hurt him. And Patty came to his rescue and she just like bloomed out of this, uh, out of, she'd been trying to suppress this, this ability. Um, and right. suddenly, and, and so as we begin the book, she's what, she's still not really accepting She's not. She's not really accepting. <clears throat> Patty wants to be a uh, wants to be a trader. trader she yes. doesn't want to be a Dremleys. I mean, being a Dremleys is if she could give it away, she would. Um, and basically, having realized that Sean has taken a really bad hit, actually, he almost died. Um, the popular wisdom, the wis- wisdom of the elders, is: Oh my gosh, we've got to get these two disentangled because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what she is, and he's really busy. And by entangled, there's there's a sort of psychic connection still between yes. them. Once you heal somebody, you you're connected to them. And that's a key point of the book. Once you heal someone, you're always connected. There is always a connection there, and this, um, it's the, entanglement theory. Yeah, it, it's a, a yeah, um, it's a follow-on to ent- entanglement. Sean, Sean, and Patty have many entanglements. Um, he's her father. Um, He's her, she's his apprentice. Um, they've now healed each other. So there, there are um, many entanglements here. Um, I've lost the three, three of the comments. 
There we go. It, it goes that way. So what what we're what we're looking at is that the uh, there's internal conflict in the family, which would be the family Sean and Patty. There's conflict in the in the family, which is Sean, Priscilla, and Patty, because Priscilla is technically uh, being Sean's life mate. Uh, Priscilla is technically um, part of that family, but she's also captain of the spaceship. And as captain of the spaceship, as the official pilot, as the captain, she's got to be concerned about the safety of everybody, all of the crew on the spaceship. And what she has here is a and time bomb that's wandering around, able to do all kind of stuff that nobody should know. be able to do. Yes. And, and she could, quote unquote, go off at any time. She might decide that she's really pissed at somebody and punch a hole through the deck. Or she might... Not, through not knowing her own strengths, basically. One of the other things um, in Trader's Leap is we explore a time in Leiden history that was very dark. Um, the Council of Clans was trying to hold on to um, control by purging a certain subset of the population, the same subset of the population that the Lux and the small talents come from. Because they just, a Lux doesn't do anything. He just is, um, at the cusp <clears throat> of probability. He may alter something or he may not alter something. And Leadens are very fond on people of people being in their proper place at the proper time. This is part of the whole Melanti thing that you had mentioned earlier, which we have covered in the podcast a while back. Uh, but it's the, you should always know because of Melanti who you are in this particular situation. What is it you're doing and who are you responsible to above and who are you responsible to below and what the people what those and the, the small yeah, the small talents it's something as as simple as gee i can bake better than steve can i mean it's not even on the level of conscious control it's, yeah it could be that um your yeast never goes bad right so um <laughs> what happened back in the maybe sharon time? has a little bit of dramas when it comes to bake. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. when Back in this dark time when the uh, council was purging these people, Clan Corval um, helped them relocate to another planet that was in need of colonists. Um, so in this, in this history, this history plays largely into Trader's Leap. Um, yeah. okay. And this place that they relocated to it is, is, is begins to show up and we get a secondary storyline in the book. Um, well, let's, uh, before we get, I, we'll talk about that because it's such cool, um, such a cool uh, side world in, in the universe. Uh, talk a little bit about Tarona Rusk and um, cause she, she also, her storyline continues from Alliance of Equals into this book. Tarona Rusk um, is a bad guy. Um, if you want to, put it that way. Tarona Rusk was a Dramlis and uh, Dramlis and she was suborned by the Department of the Interior. Oh, this goes all the way back to book one in the series, back to Agent of Change, when we find out that uh, Valkanios Felium has, has become an agent of change for the, the Department, Department of, of the, the Interior, Interior. The bad guy. All the way back uh, to there. And Tarona Rusk has uh, had been involved with the Department of the Interior. She was strong in bright light, uh, but 
because of different things that are actually sort of discussed in the book, she was pushed into, uh, into isolation. And once she was pushed into isolation, the Department of the Interior said, gee, this person can really, really be what we need. She can control other people. She can do this kind of stuff. Uh, and so Tarona Rusk, at a, at a cusp, uh, comes face to face with Sean and has, has come face to face with Sean and is, and she's not only ambitious, but she's aware of her total strength. She's a, she, she considers herself someone much, much, much stronger than, than Sean. And in the previous book, there, there is sort of a, um, a beat down. She says, I'm going to do this. And he said, you can do that. You can do that. You can do that. My poor child, you are so broken. I will heal you. That's his key. He is a healer. He is not, he is not a, a wizard. He is not this, that, or the other per se, but he is a healer. And she goes to, to, to come at him and he says, oh, I will heal you now. And he does that. He almost dies in the process, but he does do that. Um, and healed Tarona Ross. What the department was using Tarona for was to attach other, other talents, other healers, because the Department of the Interior was all about controlling their agents, um, controlling their mindsets and um, altering their loyalties. And the only way you do that is by subverting healers to make sure that, that the work has been done and, and that the work is maintained. So she has attached hundreds of talents to her and is able to draw on their power when she needs it. Um, but healed, she, want, she has keys, she has codes, she knows people. She's going to go back into the Department of the Interior and take her revenge. And Sean realizes that she's going to do this. As a matter of fact, he's hoping that she will. And what she finds when she goes back in is that his healing has cut loose all of the healers that she has suborned. And they have made a plan of how they're going to go forward, seeing where they are, um, and not really much liking the Department of the Interior. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so the, the Department of the Interior has, um, this is the reason that the clan Corval, who is our hero clan, has, has had to relocate to the planet Sherbleek and is having to reestablish trade routes and, and get their wealth back is because the DOI is against them and has. And has decided with the, their last dying breath, they are going to destroy clan Corval. That's what they're that's going what to they're do. That's what they're going to do. Yeah. And uh, this has been again, this is book 23, so it's yeah, been in threads. Book, in book 22, they sent a robot army against Sherbley to blow them out of the water. So they're kind of serious about yeah, this. Yeah, they're, they're, they're after them. And uh, Tarona Rusk as the, uh, epi in effect, the epitome of the, of the top, uh, has then finds herself in, in a spot where she's got to destroy the department. And as part of that, she realizes that her own existence is probably a problem for the universe. And so there's that, that kind of flows into the, the thread of the book as well. And she finds herself up against the people she had um, subjugated um, who have made their own plan of how they're going to, they're healers. And we've already seen what healers do when they're confronted with, with a situation that's evil. Um, and they have made their own plans. Some of the 
subjugated um, like her, actually um, honor her for what she has done and who she is. Others, not so much. Um, but one of the key points is that when Sean healed this woman and cut all of these um, talents loose, not all of them survived that, that cutting loose. Separation, separation trauma, I think is what it's called in the book. And some of the smaller talent, like the Lux, um, couldn't survive the, couldn't survive the trauma. And that brings us back to the Redlands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that brings us back to the this, Redlands. The Redlands, the ribbon, the where is this? What is this? This is so cool. They're, all, they're on the edge of the dust, of course. That's why we haven't seen them before. They're, they're on. Have they're we on, talked about the dust before? We, we we've talked about the dust before, but the uh, the the dust is a a extremely large cloud of dust that's uh, infiltrating and has infiltrated a portion of, of a galaxy. And as it's moving through the spiral arm, some planets are getting cut off. Uh, it's a very, uh, technically the idea is that from the physics of it is that the larger a ship is when it's moving in between, when, we, when it's doing what we call jump, the larger a ship in is the clearer its arrival point must be. I'm leaving here, I'm going over there. The dust makes it hard for the very, very large ships to find enough room to jump from this place to that place. So if you're in, if you're trying to jump from here to there and you, there's, you can't get a clear enough spot there, you can't get it, you, you won't finish, which means smaller ships are then able to do the same routes obviously not with the same kind of economy, not with the same. So this is actually set up to benefit the Terran um, loopers, the people who live on small ships and have connecting networks of routes. So they, they've been um, working the dust. They've been trying to work around the edges of the dust and it's exactly, exactly against the Leiden tendency to get big trade ships and take over whole routes and to take over and to be the trade ship that comes to a planet. And uh, it, so there, there's extra conflict in between the cultures from And the, du from the, dust has, the dust has been receding and the dust has just recently started to recede, recently uh, started to recede from the area of space in which the Redlands exist. And the Redlands are, is a, is part of a, the whole system is a strange system. Uh, I can't go into all of the, the sub-technical sub <laughs> physics behind it because it, uh, but part of what happens on the, in, the, um, in the Redlands is that psychic abilities like Lux uh, are subject to the ambient and the ambient is in effect where the energy that permits someone to talk to, to another person psychically or to lift a pen from the table psychically just just by power of the mind uh, is concentrated in the Redlands. And so the people who are on the Redlands are not your normal society. <laughs> and one of, one of the things I really, really liked about this book is that when we were in the rest of the Leiden books, we've had to kind of hold back with the Dramleys. They can only do certain things. In the Redlands, we have 
not only telepathy, we have um, <clears throat> teleportation. We have, it's like, yeah, let's just have all of those. Let's, let's do it all at once. And it was, it was fun to go over the top. And there, there's, there, there, and you see it fairly earlier in the, uh, in the book. There's, there's a wonderful scene where somebody is going to visit his aunt, who happens to also be an oracle, an oracle for, for civilization. There's, again, you, you will need to read the book for portions of this. But he walks in and he's brought his aunt a cup of tea. Courtesy. He's, he's carried he's it up. It, he's brought it in with him from his, from his apartment. And then he realizes that he's left his cup at home. So he does this and he pulls it. Pulls it to him. He, he just pulls it to him right and there. And he doesn't spill a drop. <laughs> um, and it's an ability because that's what he can do. Other people in the Redlands have other kinds of abilities. Uh, into this, into this uh, strange place, we're bringing someone named Patty, who is very strong, and nobody knows what the heck she can do. She's coming to this to this world. Additionally, coming to this world is a luck who's been quote unquote down on his luck for, <laughs> for a, some time. a couple who's been, who actually who've been down on their luck as it were, um, and they're coming in. Uh, and we get to have some some people who are fresh to fresh to the reader who've never been seen before. Uh, the Denoblis, I like Well, the Denoblis we started. Oh well, we've seen them. Right? We've seen but, portions but we of seen the Denoblis, and also uh, we get. Theomet, uh, and Tekla is. And Verster Grands, I believe it's her last name. Verster Grands. Verster Grands, yes, yes, yeah, perfectly good. Um, Tekelia is the, um, the speaker for the Heosa. All right, so we are divided between the civilized and this other, and the Heosa are not the civilized, right? They're, That's right. right. They're the what does that distinction mean? Um, civilization lives by rules. Um, the way the people who are civilized on the work Redlands. In, on the Redlands um, work with the ambient in order to produce their effects is rule bound. You have to do this in order to get this effect. Um, the Heosa have a, a much more casual relationship with the ambient. They just say, hey, I want a lollipop. And, and there it is. Your lollipop. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, a, it's a philosophical um, difference but it's considered to be, well, it's made a rift in the society. Uh, the Heosa are use, useful to civilization for many things, but civilization doesn't, doesn't want anything to do they, with the they, Heosa at all. They, well, they have them there. They, they've got to admit that they're there. Into this mix, uh, un, unseen directly, only, only referred to from in, in the past tense, had, had come the Reavers, who were people who came from Tarona Rusk and Tarona Rusk's but There's this whole planet full of talents. What could they not do? So, so they, uh, Tarona Rusk had, had sent a bunch of people off to, to the Redlands, and uh, they were trying to, to work their way in and to, to and, meet more. And the Heosa were, were the agents of civilization in that. They were trying to track down the Reavers and figure out what they were and to neutralize them. And about that time, Sean cut all of the ropes, all of the links to Tarona Rusk, and the Reavers died. And now the Heosa are like, oh my God, what do we do? 
why do they they were all talents they shouldn't have died they shouldn't have died they died and we didn't die what what yeah, happened what just is, happened now did the ambient which is uh, not sentient which is not sentient um do this somehow was what what happened and so all they all they experienced was these enslaved psychic types that were had been attacking them suddenly weren't right right Right. And, and Can then you, they found, they y'all, found excuse me just a minute. I, my computer's not plugged in for some reason. I'm going to sure that's, that we don't run out of power. <laughs> okay, we're good now. <laughs> Sorry about okay. that. So, uh, all right. So the Reavers, um, this uh, off camera, it happened off camera. Um, the yeah, but, but we hear about it and we hear the backstory in, in Trader Sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ties into actually the climatic last scene, um, of who, who are the Reavers and why were they there? And, um, Sean discovering actually the, completeness of what he did when he said to run a Rusk free. Um, uh-huh. So the, what is, um, what is Sean and uh, Patty's interest in going to this place and what's the, well, um, the Oracle is sort of foreseeing them coming or something. Is that it or no, or something else? She's. It's, it's all, well, you know, it's kind of complicated. They're, they're, um, I don't want to, Prime interest is that um, the clan Corval has recently um, moved. Moving is expensive. The clan needs money, and Sean has got to. Sean is the master <clears throat> trader for the clan. He's got to um, develop new routes and new trade and get some money. And additionally, what's happened is that the Department of the Interior had previously been hounding uh, not only Theo Waitley and Hership Ashimo, but the the dutiful passage. That's Sean's ship and the Corval routes and harassing the Corval routes, making it so that they can't trade, having them thrown off of planets, um, doing that kind of thing. And, it, mm-hmm. and waging a disinformation campaign, which is very easy to do because Clint Corval did blow a hole in the ad. Um, they, they actually did that. And so uh, what, what we have in combination is uh, that Sean needs to come up with a way to bring the routes, build new routes, that's that why, are beneficial to Sherbleek also because Leah's like over here, Sherbleek's here. And they, they have whole new, whole new things that they have to do. And with the planet just opening up, which is the Redlands as it's starting to have the dust clear away, uh, gee, maybe they need stuff. Maybe, and that's why, they're, that's why they're going to the Redlands to, to um, again, try to help establish a new, a new route in combination with, uh, it turns out, with the Denobly family. Uh, the Carrisons de Nobly are are tearing traders. They're a loop, their family loop. Um, they do the small ship trading that we were talking about that the dust didn't disrupt so much. Um, and there is a, I really like this. On um, Volmer, there is a meeting of Sean and um, Jennifer Carrisons de Nobly and his apprentice and Patty and it's worth the whole book. I really like that, <laughs> that, that whole whole interaction there. Uh, it's there's we had fun and uh, the 
the character th the character things of being able to say, well, yeah, here's my tea. And uh, there's a, a very uh, pressing scene in which Patty is uh, brought before healers in a uh, in a strange healer hall. Yeah, yeah. Now I want to talk about that. That's my favorite part of the book. Is when Patty. <laughs> You're a bad man. Yeah. Okay. When Patty. Um, in in, when in they push happened? her a little too hard. Well, no, she didn't push him hard in life. I mean, she That's, just stopped at the wall. Well, what yes. What's what's going What's going on is that Mr. Off. Yeah. They're trying to find people who are not involved with Patty. And who or are not involved with Sean. Not involved with Sean. And on the ship, there's three, there's three healers. Um, both Sean's life mate and his um, friends since they were kids together. And sometime Paramore. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, there's... So they're looking actually for healing. The reason they go is they're looking for other healers to look at Sean to see what his wounds are exactly if we can, if there's something we need to do that we haven't been doing. And they take Patty because she needs to be sorted. And they think that healers who are not related to Patty might be able to sort her and, and figure out what to do with her. So Sean and, Sean and Lena uh, go to one room with a master healer. And that master healer is, is observing Sean trying to figure out, boy, you really got beat up. Why did you do this? Yes. That, what did and, you do to deserve this? And they, t they have taken... Patty, who is known as in, in this discussion as the emergence, and she's emerged. Her talents have just talent. emerged. And they take the emergent into another room with a with a healer. With a, a healer, healer who's kind of a boy. Well, his his problem is that she's too bright, and she should have learned how to make shields. Um, Patty's history is that when she felt that her powers were growing and she didn't want them, and she locked them in a psychic closet. So her elders on the Digital Passage have been a little um, tender about telling her that she needs to ride herd on her talent. They just want it to, to burn they, until it burns. Yeah, they want to be able to see what it is she really does because she's been hiding everything for so long that there was a... Um, an explosion. An, an explosion, in effect, a, a, something that was actually fatal to, to some people. Um, justly so. Justly so, but that she was involved in, and they don't want that happening randomly. They need to know she's got control. So, so, so this, this fellow has taken her up, and he has um, told her that she's spoiled and uneducated, which is the way to influence people at all times, um, and he's going to teach her how to build a shield. So he shows her a shield. He says, open your, your inner eyes and look at this. This is what a shield looks like, and he shows her hull plate. And then he says, all right, that's what it looks like from the outside. I'm now going to teach you what it looks like from the, from the inside. inside. And he tries to surround her with his shield. And Patty objects to that. She's, she's not having any of it. And she pushes him. Meanwhile, Sean in the other room being examined by the master healer, someone starts to scream. And they all go. And run down the hall. Sean breaks, breaks through the door. And here's Patty. She's fine. She's fine. She's not screaming. He turns around and there's the healer, a, a couple meters off the floor. Was it like this? Pressed um, against pressed the wall. Pressed against the wall, screaming. And Sean's like, "Well, he doesn't look like he's going to fall, but you know, okay, he could be upset. He could be ten a tender, emotional type." Um, but then he says to him, "You're, you're upsetting my daughter." And the guy stops screaming. Um, yeah. But yes, that was a good scene too. We liked okay. that one. <laughs> we had. Well, it's it's a, certainly a demonstration of of Patty's. Um, 
awakening and her um I, she's she's such a fun character. She's she's um she's she's headstrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think? What is what is Shan trying to trade? What particularly does the Redlands have, by the way, that that might be? A, he doesn't know. Yeah. Just, they want to set up. Yeah. That's why it's Trader's Leap. They they have um, they have uh, taken on some goods that they think a planet that's coming out of. Uh, out of the dust might need. And they're also through arrangements with the, the Kerrisons de Nobles and, uh, and and also with Ixon. And and also with Ixon, which is uh, another, another trade family. Another trade family. They are exploring the possibilities of developing developing this into a trade unit, a, a trade uh, loop. And it's it's Experimental. They're all kind of desperate when they go there uh, for and for different desperations the, at the same time. The other reason they're going there is that Sean's father, the master trader before Sean, um, kept trade diaries, things that he thought might be interesting, and he had been interested in the movement of the dust and the emerging and the emerging markets that might. Um, benefit Corval and might benefit from Corval's trade. So Sean, in a moment of desperation, just goes to look at his, he wants to talk to his father, he can't, his father's dead. So well, the next best thing is I'll look at his diaries. Um, and, so, he, and he winds up reading all of them and realizes that Ertam had had kind of a plan. 20 or 25 years before. Before the dust had moved. And maybe now is the time to look at that other Mr. Trader's plan, which couldn't be completed at the time. Um, so that's also part of why they go to the Redlands. Yeah. There's one other thing that we haven't discussed yet that I wanted to bring in is the Norbears are here. <laughs> the Norbears are everywhere, yes. Um, what, uh, tell, yeah. What the heck are these? The, all right, this is one of your, <laughs> your two aliens, right? That we have, um, at least that we know. Um, they're they're alien sentient. They're 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 well, they're empaths. They're natural empaths. Let let us call them empaths. And what they are is somewhere is something between a um, koika and a uh, <laughs> a meerkat. A meerkat and and whatever we've been. Um, working with them for, for quite some time. Since Conflict of Honor is the first Sean book. Uh, they have a sensitivity to, to emotion. They have, um, and they, they are a, in effect, a civilization without, um, without their own uh, toys, without their own artifacts, in that they have uh, ranks with, with, within themselves and they share information. And part of the way they share information is, is psychically, in effect. Well, one of my friends had once told me, um, actually, Uluki Beshahar had um, started to adopt Prince Charles Spaniels, which are small fluffy dogs that don't hunt and don't really do anything. And he said to her, what is the purpose of this dog? And she said, the purpose of this dog is to have powerful friends. And that's kind of what Norbears are. Yes, yes. They have a they have a somewhat of a of a similar nature to the tree cats of David Weber, to me at least. I don't know if you feel that way, but 
Um, I, I'm not familiar, I'm afraid. We're not, not familiar enough to say, yeah, they're, they're like... Yeah, yeah. well, they're... <laughs> if you want to, the, if you want to go back to... If you want I've to got to a feeling that's the reason that, that David likes uh, Lee and Universe so much. <laughs> <laughs> and if you go, if you I think would, he likes the Norbears a lot. Okay. And you can go back to... Um, there are worse reasons. You yes. can go back to Little Fuzzy. Uh, and, the um, H. Beam Piper, yeah. By H. Beam Piper, yeah, H. Beam Piper. And you can go back to Little Fuzzy... There have been a, an, any you number can go of. Back to the Zero Stone, um, Andre Norton, Eat, if you remember Eat. And, um, and even, even back in, in a lot of ways to um, Willis in Heinlein, um, although Willis wasn't as originally. Heinlein had, had a, a, a secret for a number of his, uh, I don't want to spoil, but most people have read Heinlein who are at, at this stage who have read into 23 of our books probably. But one of the secrets that he knew is that. He wanted his intelligences to have arms and hands and the ability to, manip to manipulate things. That was important to be bringing in, in intelligence. And Willis uh, was a small fuzzy ball that kind of looked like a... Uh, but he could spook things. Well, but originally he couldn't. See, oh. that was the thing. Willis, as, as he develops, suddenly is seen to be able to manipulate things. And the same thing with his um, John Thomas collector. Oh. Uh, oh dear, what was his name? No. I'm going to forget it right now too. Which John is... Thomas, Starbeast. Yeah, in Starbeast. Um, I can remember, I can remember, but I can't remember I his can name remember right you. now. In any case, again, You mean the name of the creature? And... The name yeah. of the creature. Yeah. Was a... Who was actually keeping the humans. Lomax. Lomax, that was it. Lomax. Lomax, Lomax yes. He was collecting yeah, John yeah, Thomas's. Yeah. He was collecting John Thomas's and yeah. he was sort of a mini, a mini, uh, a mini dinosaurish kind of a thing, but it turned out that they didn't develop their ability to manipulate until later in life, mm -hmm. and suddenly they started growing. He started growing arms. In any case, so much for our knowledge of science fiction <laughs> history. It's all gone. Uh, okay. But uh, the thing is, is that we wanted creatures who were who were fuzzy and who were cute, and who also had had their own kind of powers and their own kind of things. So the Nora Bears uh, fit into that niche very, uh, very in, nicely. Oh, way back in, in, in Mouse and Dragon. Mouse and Dragon, uh, Aliana and Dove come up with a Nora Bear. Right. And they come up with a Nora Bear because they are walking in a port and there is an angry mob stoning a pilot who has a satchel. And the pilot is trying to protect the satchel. No, you can't have it. No, you can't have it. And they disperse the mob and take the pilot to a healer hall and they have the satchel and the healer says we'll take the pilot but get that, that out of here, here. <laughs> and they take the satchel back to the ship and Dov is like in in communication with it because he's seen Norberis before he's a scout and Aliana is like what is in the satchel and he opens it and this fuzzy thing pops out and she goes this this is why we had an angry mob. And yep, that, that was why. Because well, some people just don't react well to Norbears. And no, they kind of a, a litmus test, right? Of the Norbear, the Norbears uh, communicate through imagery. And one of the things they demand of you, and they do demand, is if, if, one, if once, are you coming up to be my Norbear? Okay. Who um, do you know? Who, who do you know? <laughs> They show you pictures of the people they know, and and they 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 share with you 
not quite to the Clifford Simak, I, I share with you my I share mind. share with you my mind, yes. But they, they share you and then they expect you to share back. This is people, somebody I have known. Do you know this person? Um, what are your impressions of this person? These are my impressions of this person. This person is trustworthy. I don't trust this person, whatever. And that's part of how they have, uh, in effect, civilized themselves along the way and how they help other people or can help other people. If you're one of the, if you're afraid of somebody seeing inside your head of uh, sharing who you know, you know, if you're a pirate and you start sharing who you know, you could get somebody in trouble. So, so there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of potential there and we've been using some of it along, mm -hmm. uh, along the way. This, this one is Sprite. This she is, is Sprite. not a Norbert. <laughs> when you live in Maine, you have to have a giant cat. It's you just, have have a yes. <laughs> it's just required. So, um, so what else, uh, we should probably, uh, wrap it up. What else, um, might we say about uh, Trader's Leap that, that may be important that we haven't covered? Um, the, I mean, this is this is the coming to terms with. I mean, Patty's really she was coming of age previously, but now she's really coming into her own yes. in this book. This is Patty's Patty's step into strong womanhood. Um, this is actually our homage to two characters who have been with us um, since we created the League Universe and who appear. First in the crystal books, Luton Moonhawk. Um, it's our giving them a, a rest. They've been working a long, long time. A long time. A long time, and they they deserve they deserve peace. So this that was part of part of the importance of the book for so us. So the portion a portion of it we we see we see online, and we see particularly when we go to conventions. What well, we have literally had people come up to us and grab our arms or our hands and say, tell me it's not over. Tell me it's not over. They don't want the series to be over. And, and frankly, we're having a lot of fun with it. And there are still portions of it that we haven't finished exploring. And we know that we haven't done this part. We haven't done that part. Uh, but this book allowed us to bring several new characters, and characters new in, and, but at the same time, it allowed us to bring closure to a couple of long, uh, couple of long lines. Uh, while the Department of the Interior uh, threads may not be over entirely, for the most part, they're going to have to be because the, the department has been has been solved. But at the same time, uh, it's everything everything's done with the mop up. Uh, but at the same time, once you've once you've solved that, that doesn't mean that all the problems in the universe disappear and those other problems come up. What do you do about? What do you do about trade? What do you do about the thing that's been unleashed in in uh, by Valcon by saying, you know, if yes. you have a working artificial intelligence, a, a working logic that who, is, who is contributing sentient, to society, that is in fact sentient, they are people. They are people. And Oops. And, and, so, and, and I think Theo recognized that. And so, geez, that changes everything. What's he thinking? Oh, that it changes everything. Um, and uh, so, like, for instance, Theo's sentient starship. Uh, what's it? Yep. Bishimo, yeah. Yep, too, Bishimo, traders, right. traders Leap and um, Accepting the Lance together. And they were one book at one point. We did you a favor by unwinding them and making them two books instead of one 300,000 word book. Yeah, it would have been a 300,000 word book. <laughs> um, um, with these two books, we've kind of 
finally finished the Agent of Change, the Agent of Change arc. Um, and while the, the series, the universe goes on, there are more, more and newer pathways to take now. We've solved the old problem. Well, that sounds like an excellent place to leave it. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, the book is Trader's Leap. It's at Booksellers Everywhere by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. Uh, Sharon Lee and Steve Miller, thank you so much for talking with us about this. Well, thank you, Tony. Thank you. It's good to see you. And you too. And the cat. And Sprite. And Sprite. Sprite. <laughs>
Does that mean they've decided Parthion's shot was a bad idea? That could make sense after what happened in Mesa, if they want to try to convince people they hold the moral high ground. But it also suggests they really thought they could get close enough to Cassandra to target their fire accurately. So does that mean Hamish was right? Were they as surprised as we were by what happened to Mycroft? Or were they really dumb enough to not anticipate system defense MDMs at all? Or did they... He shook himself. There was no way in hell he could answer any of those questions. All he could do now was wait and hope the POWs could answer them for him later. That was another entry in the complete audiobook serialization of Uncompromising Honor by David Weber. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Audible.com and to podcast theme composer, Ruth Judkowitz. And a lilting rendition of The Age of Aquarius performed by an all-theremin band with a little snare added to keep the beat up. Plus, thanks, praise, and gratitude to Sharon Lee and Steve Miller, author of Traitor's Leap. Please join us next time here at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy and keep reaching for the stars. <laughs>